All right. We've been in this series the last few weeks in Acts called Multiply, and um, we're going, we are on a brief break from the book of Acts um, due to Advent. Um, so the last two weeks we dealt with the birth of Christ, the meaning of that, um, and the implications for us as believers. Um, so we're going to continue now um, in our break from this book of Acts. Today is the first day in the first Sunday of 2017. This is the time where many people make New Year's resolutions. According to the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion, here are the top seven New Year's resolutions for 2017. Number one, be a better person. Number two, exercise more. Number three, lose weight. Number four, spend less and save more. Number five, improve one's health. Number six, eat healthier. Number seven, I forgot to write that one down. So here are the top six for 2017. These New Year's resolutions, they all sound good. They, 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 they are, they're great. The problem with, the only problem with these New Year's resolutions is that according to Forbes magazine, only 8% of people actually complete their New Year's resolutions. And so the question that, that begs to be asked is, why is it that only 8 in 100 people actually complete or, or are successful in changing? And then if they do change, only for a year. If we were to break this down and cut to the uh, most common denominator, uh, let's say we took 25 of you all in here today. If my math is correct, only two out of that 25 would actually achieve the goals that they set out for 2017. So then the question that we must ask is, why is it that we struggle to change? Why is it that we can't achieve the goals that have the potential to change our lives? Remember, these are, there's nothing wrong with these resolutions. Be a better person, exercise more. Lose weight, spend less and save more, improve one's health, eat healthier. Why is it that only 8 in 100 people actually achieve what they set out to do? Maybe we can ask this question. Why is it that we can't experience lasting change? And if we were to experience lasting change, how do we do that? How do we move beyond New Year's resolutions that we start off really well and then they fade off with time? And so th today, I want us to talk about how people change. But I, I don't want us just to have New Year's resolutions 
I want us to look at, and, and there's nothing wrong with New Year's resolutions, by the way. I don't want to demonize New Year's resolutions. There's some things I've resolved to do in 2017. But, but how can we take the, the enthusiasm and the excitement of this new year and translate it into change that actually happens long term? I'm so glad you asked me all those questions. <laughs> Let's turn in your Bibles to an, the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. I'll give you some time. Use your table of contents. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14. And for our time together, we'll read verses 1 through verses 9. Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. And so what we'll do today and Next week and maybe the week after is we'll just simply talk about how people change. That's what we all want. It, the, the most obvious thing is that people need to change. The hardest thing, the most difficult thing is how to change permanently. So turn there, Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Here's what thus says the word of the Lord in Ezekiel chapter 14. Beginning with verse 1. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his hearts, and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself, and I will set my face against that man. I will make him a sign and, and a byword and cut him off from the midst of my people. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Let's stop right there, actually. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ezekiel. Who, who was this man with this funny name? Actually, it's the name of the best running back in the National Football League right now, Bill. <laughs> Ezekiel. 
was trained as a priest. At the current time of our reading, Ezekiel is an exile among exiles in Babylon. These exiles have been scattered from the promised land due to their disobedience, due to their rebellion, due to their spiritual adultery. And and Ezekiel has been called by God, by, by Yahweh, to prophesy to this idolatrous, worshiping people. He, 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 he's been appointed by God, and God says you will be a watchman over Israel. The watchman's job was to stand up high and, and, to, and to see, to, to look for uh, 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 the, the, the enemy who was coming. And his job was to warn the people that the enemy was on its way. And so Ezekiel says, God says to Ezekiel, you're going to be a watchman. Your job is to warn the people of Israel of impending judgment from me. Because they, they have rebelled against me. They have distanced themselves from me. They, they, they have worshipped idols. And then here in, in chapter 14, some elders of Israel... Now, these are not elders in the sense that we have elders in our church today. These elders, that they, their job was to hear disputes and, 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 and conflicts between people and to be somewhat of a mediator. And so they would sit at the, the city gate. That was kind of like the court of law. They would sit at the city gate and hear disputes between people and settle them. And so now these elders come to Ezekiel. Now, what's interesting is if you go back to chapter 3, God is so upset with the people of Israel that he says, Ezekiel, I know I've called you to prophesy, but I'm going to put you under house arrest. He literally says, go chain yourself inside your house, and guess what? I'm going to shut up your mouth. Your your tongue is going to cleave to your mouth. In other words, I don't want you to prophesy at this time. God is so upset with the people of Israel because of their rebellion and their idolatry that he says, I won't even speak to you. I won't even tell you how messed up you are. I'm not even going to give you fair warning of what's about to happen. So God's put, God puts Ezekiel under house arrest and then puts him under, uh, gives him a gag order. And, and so Ezekiel is now in his home, and these elders of Israel, they come to his home because they want to hear a word from the Lord. God is put off by these elders. He says, these elders have come to me. They they want to consult with me. They, they, They want to hear a word from me. The problem is that their hearts are far from me. He says, the bigger issue or the root of their idolatry was their heart. He says in verse 2, he says they've set up idols in their heart. They now were worshiping that which controlled their heart. And so here's what I want to uh, uh, suggest to us today, friends, that the reason we don't experience lasting change is because we deal too much with the fruit and not the root. 
We, we deal too much at the symptoms. We deal too much with the symptoms and not the actual condition. We, we, we try to manage our behavior rather than going to the root that's behind the behavior. And God helps us to understand that the root cause of all of our problems, the root cause of all of our need for change is not these bad behaviors, but it's our heart. This text helps us to understand that the root cause of our inability to experience lasting change is because we have a bad heart. We have hearts that yearn for something else more than God. The, the issue is that in some area of life, we've determined that God is not enough. And, and, we and when we feel as if God is not enough, our hearts begin to manufacture idols. The reason, my friends, that only 8% of people actually achieve their New Year's resolutions is because they address the fruit of their problem and not the root. Friends, if you're going to experience lasting change in 2017 and beyond, the pathway to change begins with the heart. God calls these elders out. He, they want a word from him, but their hearts are far from him. Internally, their heart was rotten. Their, their external actions of worshiping these images, these idols, were nothing but the byproduct of an internal condition. And God says if we're going to, to, to change, we've got to deal with the heart. The, the heart, that, that's the core of who we really are. The, it's the, the seat of all motivation, emotion. And God has always been concerned with the heart. Okay, okay, y'all gonna make me work today. Stayed up too late last night. Remember the flood back early on in Genesis? The issue, the reason the flood came about was because there was a heart condition. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 says, And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. I want to make this case about the, the primacy of the heart. Proverbs 4.23, the author says, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. The, the proverbial writer says, heart, and then our behavior follows. Okay, you still don't like me. That's all right. Remember Israel? Um, they kept asking God for a king, and God gave them a king. They gave him old crazy Saul. God got tired of Saul, Saul and, and he said, um, I, I, I need to replace him. I need, a, I need a new king. So God calls this prophet Samuel. He says, I want you to go down to the house of Jesse the Bethlehemite. And when you go down there, that's where you're going to find this new king that I've, that I've uh, chosen. And you, I want you to anoint this new king. And so Samuel goes down to Jesse's house. Uh, and, and Jesse uh, is the grandson of, of of Ruth and Boaz, and so he goes down to Jesse's house, and, he's, and the first person he sees is um, Eliab, 
who, who is probably the oldest of Jesse's eight sons. And so he looks at them, he looks at the first and he says, oh yeah, That's, that, 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 that must be the one. He, he, he was kind of like Josh, tall, stocky. He saw the outer appearance and he says, this has to be the king. Josh cannot be the king of the bridge. And so Samuel's looking up him, this, this spiritual man, he looks at them, he says, this must be the one. And God says, whoa, 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 Samuel. He says, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the, oh, you can help me preach this thing, on, on, on heart. Jesse brings up seven of his sons, and the Lord says, nope. Number two, nope. Number three, nope. And, and Samuel says, I've seen all seven that are in the house. And God said, I've got to come to Jesse's house to find a new king. He says, is this all your sons? And, 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 and the father, Jesse, his daddy, his old man. Says, yeah, I got one more, but he, he's, he's out in the fields yeah. with the sheep. Yeah. Just, just dirty, you know, that, 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 with the sheep. Yeah. And Samuel says, go get him. And when and David shows up dirty from the sheep field, and because God, God says, not only am I after the heart, but I'm going to pick me a man after my own heart. Yeah. 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 And David is anointed to become king. You don't like that illustration? Come here, Jesus. The Pharisees came to Jesus one day. They said, Jesus, why, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? They nasty selves. They didn't say that. That's, the, that's from the Brandon Reddick version. You, you like that one. These Pharisees, they, they come to Jesus and say, your disciples didn't wash their hands. And Jesus says, look, 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 look. You, you, all, you all tripping about the hands or, or, or what comes from the stomach. He says, it's the heart that's the issue. Jesus says this, from the heart come evil thoughts. From the heart comes murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. The heart. Friends, here's, all I'm trying, here's what I'm trying to say. The reason we need to change is because our hearts are corrupt. Notice here. In Ezekiel chapter 14, he says they have idolatrous hearts. They're taking up idols in their hearts. Notice here what he doesn't attribute their need to change to. He says they have a heart issue. It's internal. It, they, they don't have problems because of people. They, they, they don't have problems because of their past. They don't have problems because of their environment. They have problems because of their heart. There's, there's no need. He says, God is not going to allow these men to shift the blame. He says, you are your own worst enemy because you have an idolatrous heart. The, the problem is that we've taken good things and we've made them God things. We, we've taken good things and we've made them ultimate things. So the question you must be asking is, Brandon, okay, we, that we don't have any images 
We're showing up here at the British Church today. Obviously, we don't have any images or idols that we worship. So what's the point of this? How, how is this relevant or significant for us in the 21st century? Here's what Tim Keller says. T T Tim Keller says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. An idol is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. It is anything you seek to give, uh, all of you, to give what only God can give you. Friends, an idol is anything so important. Hear this. An idol is anything so important to you that should you lose it, life would no longer be worth living. Let's get specific. What, what, what are some of our idols? Family. Children, careers, money, achievement, peer approval, competence, politics. This list is not exhaustive, but it's a real good start. And, and here's the problem with many of us is that we, 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 we won't admit it publicly, but if we were real honest and introspective, we've tried to, to disguise the idols of our hearts with scripture. Watch this, let me give you an example. We've, we, we say we are frugal because we want to be good stewards of our money. <laughs> Sounds good. But if we really, for some of us, this is not the case all the time, but for some people, we are frugal because we find our security in our money. Right in the church. We, 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 we can idolize good things. There's nothing wrong with, with money. But one of the most blessed men in all the Bible was Job. He, he had a ton of material possessions. So the Bible makes it clear that there's, no, that there's nothing wrong with money and a lot of it. There's nothing wrong with it. The problem is when you become a lover of money. Whatever gives you meaning in life is your idol. And so that's the question. If we were having a small group this week, that would be one of the questions on the, the guide. What really gives you meaning in life? If it's anything beyond God, you have an idol. If, if you being a mother or a father gives you meaning in life, you've got some idols. If, if being Whatever your career is, whatever, whatever you do for a living, if that's what gives you meaning in life, you have an idol. And God is a jealous God. He, don't, he will not share his throne with anything or anyone else. So then if maybe instead of stating our New Year's resolutions, 
What we need to do is ask a question of God. God, will you please expose the idols of my heart? So then, if the heart is the root cause of our problems, how do we experience heart change that leads to lasting change? We've seen the root. Look with me now at the remedy. Look with me at the remedy. The, the, the first thing we need to do, if we're going to experience lasting heart change, is if, when, if, if, when, whenever a person has a bad heart, and, and if it's beyond repair, what they need is a heart replacement. And that's the first step to lasting change. We need heart replacement. Our hearts are so evil they're so corrupt that they can't even be repaired. They have to be removed and replaced. All right, you're still too, too high, Brandon. What, how did then do I get a new heart? Let's, let's flip back a few chapters. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 11. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 11. Now, you're going to have to wait because my iPad is trying to catch up. Here, well, well, let me set this up for us first. Here to four, God has promised to judge his people by the sword. He says, foreigners will now rule over you. And, and while Ezekiel is prophesying what thus said the Lord... One of the men of Israel who provided wicked counsel to Israel, he dies on the spot. And so Ezekiel sees this man of Israel, who was probably a part of, of, of nobility, he looks at him and says, Lord, are you going to destroy everybody in Israel? Ezekiel 11, verse 16. Here is God's response. To Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 16. You got it? Here's what it says. Therefore, say, this is God speaking, thus said the Lord God, though I remove you far from among the nations, and though I scatter you among the countries, yet I, have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore, God is saying this to Ezekiel, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. There's more hope. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. Why? He says, because I'm going to give them a new heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a, a, a heart of flesh. What? So that they may walk in my statues and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. 
God says, if you need a new heart, you can't just go out and purchase one. You, you don't just get on a list. He says, I myself will give you a new heart. Oh, oh he says, I'm going to give them one heart. That, he, in other words, he says, I'm going to give you an undivided heart. And I'll put a new spirit within you. And, and this new heart will lead to obedience to me. The last sentence in verse 20 is crucial. Here's what the last part of verse 20 says. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Whenever you see that kind of language, think covenant. Here's the significance of that. God is saying this is going to be part of my covenant. This, this, this verse, these verses are known as the new covenant. It's, it's new in the sense that it will supersede the old Mosaic covenant. And so God says, as a part of my new covenant, you'll get a new heart. The question that you're probably asking is, well, when will all of this take place? That's a good question. I like it when y'all ask these good questions. Remember when Jesus was eating the Passover with his disciples for the last time? They had bread and wine. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it, and he said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, and he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So, so when Jesus shed his blood on Calvary, when he died, that was the beginning of the new covenant. Here's my point. In order to receive a new heart of the new covenant, you got to go through Jesus. When you trust in Jesus, the Bible says you will be born again. And when you are born again, you receive a new heart. God gives a new heart to all who believe. In Jesus Christ. So if friend, if you want to experience lasting change, it begins with Jesus Christ. That's how you experience lasting change. You must have a new heart. But, but not only must you replace the old heart with a new heart, the text says, if we go back to Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 6, here's what God says to these people, to his own people. He says, Repent and turn from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. That word repent literally means to change one's mind. How do we change? Repent. And when we have a change of mind, that will lead to a change in our direction and a change in our conduct. And, and, and the Lord God says that the way you change the, the evidence that you've changed is that there will be a literal turning away from your idols. Martin Luther, when he nailed his 95 Thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church, he said the very first thing he wrote, his first thesis, said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. 
Friends, as we apply and rehearse the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis, it calls for continual repentance. If you want to change, friends, you must repent. You, you must confess your sins to God. That word confess, uh, it, it literally means to say the same. You, you must say the same thing about your sin that God says about it. You, you must confess it. There must be this godly sorrow that is different from worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry I got caught. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry I'm experienced the consequences of my sin. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry y'all know what I've been doing in the dark. And now it's come to light. But godly sorrow is, I am so, uh, 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 I am so disgusted by this sin, and, I, and I'm so hateful towards this sin that I never want to do it again. And so now I've got this heart of contrition. I'm broken, and I say, God, I say the same thing about my sin that you say. I see it the way you see it now. Let me see. Let me see if I can tell you a story to help bring this to light. Jesus tells, I'm going to tell a story that Jesus told. Jesus tells this parable about a son. The son went to his daddy and he said, Daddy, I don't want to wait till you die. I want my inheritance now. Give it to me now. The father gives the inheritance to this son, and this son goes out into the world and just start, living, uh, and just start wasting all of his inheritance. And, and he, he, he's now, he's broke, and then a depression hits the land. Bible calls it a famine. There's a famine in the land. He's broke, and there's a famine in the land, and now he's having to go and find the, the, uh, uh, the, a, a below-minimum-wage job. And so they say, you can go out with the pigs. And this son, who, who was living like a prince, is now living with pigs. And he, fall, he finds himself in the hog pen. And he's wondering. He, and, and the text says in Luke chapter 15, he says he's there. While he's there with the pigs in the hog pen, he, he comes to himself. There was this change of mind. He came to himself and he says, the, the, the slaves in my daddy's house live better than this. I, I, I'm going to go back home and tell my daddy, I know I don't deserve to be your son anymore. Can I at least be like a slave in your home? And so he goes back home, and while he's going back home, the father is looking for him, obviously, and he starts to run towards his son. And as soon as, he, as, soon as the son sees his father, he says, Father, I've sinned against God and you. You know what that's called? Confession. He he. he he comes to his senses. He has a change of mind about his sin, the way he's acting, the way he's living. And he goes back home to his father and he confesses that he sinned against him. But then there is this godly sorrow. Because as soon as he says, I've sinned against you, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Will you please make me a slave? His godly sorrow was demonstrated that he, he was willing to humble himself. To the point 
to where he would become a slave. This is what true repentance looks like, friends. If we want to experience lasting change, we must replace the old heart with a new heart. We must repent continually. But then finally, we must read God's word. Friends, there can be no change without God's word. Notice what happens here in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 14, here's what, Ezekiel is now a prophet. And everything he prophesies, it begins, God says, begins with this. Thus says the Lord God. Ezekiel's job was to say what thus said the Lord. What Ezekiel was speaking would now become revealed scripture. There can be no lasting change without God's word. Here's what Hebrews 4 and 12 says about the word of God. It says the word of God is living and active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it even discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Friends, God's word is heart-revealing. It, it exposes the idols of the heart. If you want to experience, experience excuse me, lasting change, you must become a student of God's word. I know it seems like preachers, this is always the application at the end of their sermon, but there is no way around it. There is no other way to experience lasting change outside the word of God. The Bible must be our primary tool for change. Lasting change is the fruit of of the word of God taking root in our life and bearing fruit. So, so what we've learned is that if we want to experience lasting change in 2017, we cannot just deal with the behavior. And, 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 and let me say this, if you can deal with the behavior and, there, and you may experience some change, but the change will only be temporary. You, you can put pressure on people to change. Change or I'll leave you. Change or something bad is going to happen to you. But as soon as that pressure is removed, the change dies. So the only way to experience lasting change is not to start at the behavioral level, but to start at the heart level. The motivation behind why we do the things that we do. And the only way to deal with that is to receive a new heart by faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Now, let me make something very clear. I'm not saying that once you receive this new heart, you won't have any temptations. You won't have any problems. There's an internal war going on in our hearts every day, every moment. There is a spiritual battle going on. You've got two kingdoms warring inside of you, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Christ. There are going in, in there, there, you will still have problems. You will still yield to temptation at times, unfortunately. But with this new covenant promise of a new heart becomes, is also a new spirit. God will give you the Holy Spirit, which will give you the power that you need to change. Oh, I can't wait to next week's sermon.
Because next week's sermon is we got to know something that we've died to sin. In other words, we've died to the power of sin. We are no longer slaves to the sin that used to enslave us. We've been set free through Jesus Christ. That's how I want y'all to respond next week when I preach that again. Worship team, come back. Resolutions are great, but they must begin with the heart. And what we must be resolved to do is to ask God to show us the idols, the things that, are, that have replaced him in our life. And every, all, we've all got different idols that are always tempting us. There are some that, that are very overt. They're, they're, they're very easy to identify. But then there are some that are more covert. And what we need is wisdom from God to show us the area in our life where our heart isn't totally surrendered to him, but it's been surrendered to something or someone else. How do you respond to this sermon? You respond by asking God to give you wisdom to expose the idols in your heart. And once he exposes them, exposes them you ask God to change your heart in regards to that idol. Let me you're going to think this one is, see, we've got some idols, some covert idols, more like pride. Let me give you another one. Image. How many people, there are a lot of people that want to lose weight. Again, we, we want to, we can, be, if we're not careful, we'll cover it up. We'll say, I want to lose weight because I want to be good steward of my temple, of, of my body. But if we were really honest and true, there are some people in this world who want to lose weight so that they can just be skinny and people will look uh, favorably on them. There's nothing wrong with being skinny. I guess. I've never been it, but there's nothing wrong with it. But our our culture has said that skinny is beautiful. And anything, any size above a single digit, they need some help. And so what we've done is caved in to the culture and we say, I, this, this has now become my idol. I want to be uh, looked at a certain way. I want people to have a certain opinion of me. What we're doing, now we have the idol of approval. It's more, more covert. The idol of success. Ask God for wisdom to expose the idol of your heart. Then ask God to change your heart so that you see your sin, your problem, your your idol the same way he sees it. And you turn from that and you say, God, you are more important than whatever this idol is. God will make all things new. He will give you a new heart. And so that's what I want us to proclaim now as we respond, is that this, that's the God that we have, a God who's making all things new. Stand to your feet as we proclaim that together. <laughs>